Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jeff Newbarth. Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast. And this will be very awkward because we have a TV professional here, yet I'm the one doing the intro. Bill McAtee. I'm, I'm going to cut the intro short because I can't do it justice. You should be doing this. How are you? I'm good. You did just fine. And I've watched you do these before. You've gotten pretty good at it. Well, I have good people to emulate like yourself. So uh, we're here to talk about Bill, who uh, recently returned home from Augusta, Georgia. He called his 30th Masters. And I hate saying like final because it makes it sound uh, like something bad's happening. But you're, you're choosing to... to Use 30 is the right number to, to kind of climb down from the tower, which I think is amazing. So first off, congratulations. Uh, and I just want to talk about some of those uh, those moments. And also, we want to take your questions. So ask your questions on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, Jen, Roy, Smat, and everyone will be feeding them to me over here. And we'll ask Bill uh, your questions for the next 20 or 25 minutes. But can you reflect on on the fact that you, you called 30 masters? It's amazing. Yeah, it's been uh, – and I was, I'm not typically a sentimental person, but but I wanted to make sure that – that I kind of remembered some specific things of, of my time there and to, to be able to do 30 masters. And that, you know, extends, I was able to take my dad there multiple times with me to watch the masters. He went with his dad. So that was neat. I was able to bring my wife, Sonia and, and uh, some family and friends and to share that experience. And that was, that was really what made it so special. And then to, you know, to be there for, you know, the entire tiger, era has been uh, remarkable. And, and I started doing it in 91. So um, I, th- that was when Jack and Arnie and Gary were still playing competitively. Um, it, it, they were in the field. I'm not sure that you could say they were all competitive, but that didn't matter. The fact that they were there was what was so amazing. And I remember them, all three of them coming into Butler Cabin when you and I worked together, Jeff, on USA Network, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Lance Barrow, our producer, kind of talking to me. And it may have been Frank Jerkinian at that point. And, uh, but, but, you know, giving me a countdown. And I'm thinking to myself, here, here I am, this guy from El Paso, Texas. You know, I am not worthy. And I'm about to go on the air from Butler Cabin with these three icons of golf. And, uh, and it was, it was, they were so great that uh, even, even this inexperienced young guy, couldn't get in their way. It was just a fabulous memory for me. Um, and, and just, just a, a ton of others. And it was really, it was really special to be in there. Um, for 20 years, I also had the, the privilege on Saturday of talking to, uh, those who were in contention, um, starting in, in, uh, 97 in contention to win the masters. And then if you talk to me on Sunday, or Peter Costas, uh, who was in that role with me, that meant you lost the Masters. And so I sometimes would, would I would call my dad um, every, every after every round, driving back to our house from the course, and I'd kind of go over the day with him. And I think I might have been complaining that, that somebody wasn't nice to me or something, so, something silly like that. And my dad gave me great perspective. He said, just remember, everyone you talk to on Sunday – in their mind, just lost the Masters. And that perspective was fabulous. And it really helped me kind of going forward to, to understand the mindset of these players and, and how difficult it is, you know, when you're, you're, you're steeled up for competition and now you have to let all that down, that guard down and, and suddenly be, you know, a regular person again to talk. And that's a huge ask, 
you know, and, and also the dis- disappointment on, on Sunday. So um, uh, it was a, it was a unique position to be in. I got to see the joy of being in contention and I got to, you know, in some cases literally feel the heartbreak of, of having lost the masters. And the last person I interviewed in that role was Jordan when he had the, uh, the collapse and Danny Willett went on, on to win the collapse at 12. And, um, and you just realize at the end of the day, they are extraordinary. They have extraordinary skill and uh, some of them are really extraordinary athletes um broadly but but you know at the end of the day they are regular people and their their heart beats the same way and um what they're what we're watching them do under enormous pressure really is uh it really is extraordinary one of my favorite moments that i wanted to share that that we shared together as bill mentioned we did the usa network telecast is um things were different uh i'm going to date us things were different back then um but we did the teases every week for uh, every year for thursday and friday and normally we had a pretty good plan as to what we were going to do, especially the Thursday. We used to even do that Wednesday night preview show, which I promise I won't bring up. Um, but we, we one year after the first round, we learned that Mr. Palmer, uh, the great Arnold Palmer, was going to play Friday. And that was going to be his last round competitively at Augusta National. And if you think about it, in today's world, they would have announced that six months before. There would be a whole tour. There would be, you know, all the pop and circumstance. But Mr. Palmer basically told everyone on Friday that tomorrow's my last round. And so we quickly, uh, and you did all the writing, thankfully, wrote kind of a tease. We stayed up most of the night and kind of edited it. And I remember you came in and we had the old, it was the old Moxie uh, Winnebago. And and you went over kind of in the corner and voiced it. And you did it a couple times um, and you weren't happy with it. And so we took a break and you, you voiced it another time. And as it aired, Jim Nance, uh, there's a button for people who are on TV called Talk Back, where he can say something that only the, the truck can hear. And Jim said one of the greatest compliments of how great that tease was and how great your read was. Uh, And it meant so much to all of us who'd worked on it, but also just was appropriate. I remember sitting there, uh, wasn't there like a ruling on the green right before Mr. Palmer was coming up 18? So it kind of took forever for him to get up there. But, you know, you got to have that moment where where you you called Arnold Palmer's last hole at at Augusta National. That that was my uh, fondest memory of, of the time there. Well, that's great of you. You actually to bring that up. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. That that was I. He was one of my heroes, personal heroes, and so you know I felt like I to frame that final competitive Masters for him and and for all the people who were like me. You know, they grew up idolizing Arnold Palmer, and then I don't know if you recall, but he came into Butler okay. Cabin afterward, and uh, his day had been really a day of celebration. Um, he was shaking hands with folks and it was just, it was really joyful. And so um, he was going to come into Butler cabin and um, Lance Barrow had, had had the team put together a highlight reel of his day. And he just sort of said, okay, here's the great man's day. And I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, two minutes or 20 minutes. I had no idea what was about to happen. And, um, and it, it, it unfolded. Um, and I, and I heard myself cause at a certain point, you know, you're just, you're winging it basically. And you're speaking from the heart in that particular case. And I heard myself saying things like, you know, the thing we loved about Arnold Palmer is that he was never Arnold Palmer. He was always one of us. And, and so I'm, and I'm just enthralled and totally focused on the monitor in front of me. And, and Peter Costas was, was, was with me as well. So I'm talking and, and I'm just sort of watching these scenes and I'm having almost an out-of-body experience that I can't believe here's this 
again, kid from El Paso, Texas, uh, in Butler Cabin, getting to narrate the final master's uh, appearance as a competitor for his, his idol. And I realized that someone has sat in the chair next to me. And uh, I, I take a quick glance over there and it was Arnold Palmer and he was crying. And, and I thought to myself, and I had to keep my focus, but I, I thought to myself, this will be the most amazing experience that I will ever have professionally, certainly, but even in life, being able to do this. So uh, that moment is something that, uh, you know, I, I feel like it happened yesterday. That yeah. was really cool. Yeah. All right. We have some questions uh, online. The first one, and I kind of feel like this is an inside job. Katie Duffy wants to know how many spin classes a day will you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on Peloton too, because I because I, I, I follow you. I am. <laughs> that I am. Very funny. I think that might have been Katie's husband, Tom, my friend Tom Duffy. Yeah, we, we might have to have a Masters uh, Sunday spin class next year that you can host because you won't have to be at the uh, at, at the Towers <laughs> early. All right, the next one, a little more serious, uh, from Clayton Anderson, our good buddy Clayton. Uh, in light of COVID and all the things it feels like we lost this year, how special, special was it to see the Masters continue? You know, that point was raised multiple times, the very fact that we were there. Obviously, it was a different type of Masters with no patrons and all of the things that had happened. But but I, I heard from a lot of folks who said, you know, hearing the music, hearing Jim, hearing the team, seeing the golfers, seeing the course, even without patrons, but without stakes, and, and, and seeing it from different perspectives, because there was a, a drone camera that was employed for the first time, um, just made you feel normal again. Yeah. And even though it was November, I just, um, you know, I, I loved that. I loved being able to be there to do the Masters. You know, normally it's something you share with a lot of folks, but I feel like we were able to share it from our perspective at CBS with the world. And, uh, and it was really, it was pretty darn special. Yeah. And I think that that's something that you don't take for granted is uh, there aren't too many golf shows that have yourself on it anymore that have Vern on it. Um, you know, just legends of who've been a part of the masters and, and so many of us watching it, you know, for, for many, many years. Um, what was it like, when you, when you finish the round and, you know, I know Lance likes to say, all right, you know, all right, Billy, you're all clear, you know, so you know, you're done on four. It's easier on Sunday. Cause you know, when, when the last group's through your hole, uh, was that a little strange? Uh, was it kind of, did it feel kind of, did like, wait, wait, can we maybe do one more shot or. <laughs> no, it felt about right. I stayed in for one more segment cause you know, they're limited commercial breaks. So I stayed in there and I wanted, I wanted to go up and watch uh, Dustin cause I felt like he had it well in hand. I wanted to watch that final putt. So, um, so I, I walked down and the tower at 14 is very steep. So I thought to myself, well, the one thing I don't want to do in my final masters is fall off the 14th tower. <laughs> that, that would not be a graceful exit, a graceful dismount. So I was very careful kind of, you know, coming down with my backpack on my back and, but, but I, I did, I lingered for about five minutes. I walked around the 14th hole because play had already gone through there, obviously, and, and there was no one there. And, uh, and I just, you know, I w went down and, and I just touched the green because uh, I'd spent a lot of years above it. And uh, it gave me a lot of, of thrills just to be there and watch folks try to navigate it. So that was, that was a little something different. And then I, I took my little cart, the golf cart, and drove up behind Butler Cabin, parked, and then 
which that's, you know, what we've, we've done for years and then walked over to 18. And normally, you know, you couldn't really, you wouldn't have a sight line to 18. And I, and I never want to, you know, I've got a, a, a badge that would allow me to, I guess, to, to go around, but people have been, you know, had normally would stake out that territory for days and, <laughs> or at least that yeah. day, they'd definitely be in the same spot. So, uh, so I was able to watch and, and watch this very unique finish to the masters and really, so happy for Dustin. I mean, you know, Dustin's a, a a good guy, and and he has played extraordinary golf. And you know, I I felt that um, he you know maybe got a little bit nervous at four and five. He made bogey there, but I think yeah. he was helped by the fact that he was playing with two first-time Masters players, and and no one was really putting any heat on him. So I, who's to say he wouldn't have done just fine with that? But I think that was a little extra cushion that was nice for him. And then to be able to walk up 18 knowing you have a five-shot lead, that that sort of makes it a little easier too. Um, yeah. But I wanted to be there to see it because I thought, you know, I saw Arnold sink his final putt and and a few others, Jack. And, and uh, when I started – Gene Sarazen, Byron Nelson, and Sam Sneed were the honorary starters. I got a chance to to meet them and engage with them a little bit over the years, and uh, so I wanted to be sure, as a as a bit of an exclamation point, that I got to see that final putt drop. Yeah, I I, think, I remember doing that one year. I remember me, you, and Kevin Landy. We we watched the 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 guys in the morning. I remember one time we had lunch up in kind of on the veranda there. It's just such a special place. All right, we have a question from Matt Dawson. Do you have a favorite memento or collectible? from your years at Augusta? I, uh, you know, I've, I've, I don't, there's not one that really stands out. So um, I, I, I actually got a, a commemorative um, item from this masters that somebody gave to me, which was a really wonderful gesture. So that will, I'll, I'll put that in, in plexiglass and, and kind of have that prominently displayed. I, I took a picture um, when uh, on Saturday, when the light was absolutely extraordinary of the 14th hole from my tower position, because I wanted to remember it kind of just like that pristine and, and beautiful. And when you look back down that fairway, you also see the 13th green with those, you know, iconic bunkers around it. So um, that that was yeah, that was kind of my my memento. And people don't understand the amount of hours that it takes, the amount of crew that it takes to put on a production like this, especially uh, in the year of COVID where, where you have to have more distance and separation. When when the hours were adjusted to go on the air early, can you just kind of walk people through what, what a typical day is like, uh, you know, with meetings and early golf and then a little bit of a lunch break, et cetera? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, we were, be because it rained for two hours and five, there's a two hour, 45 minute delay on Thursday, and that was about all, you know, that we could handle. So fortunately, we were able to get back on on time by Sunday. But Friday and Saturday, we went early. So I would get up about 4.30 and I'd stretch a little bit, have some coffee and kind of get ready. And then I'd drive out to the golf course and it was still dark. And, uh, you know, we were in our in our tower positions at, at uh, 7 a.m., to kind of check everything. And fortunately, most of us have done this for a long, long time. So we sort of know what we need to do. Um, and I'm not talking about just the on-air people, all the, the people in production, the truck. We have an extraordinary team at CBS led, led by Lance Barrow and, and, and Jim Nance. 
Um, and so, you know, we just kind of got in our position, started to go. And then we went until we were done. And then we had a short break. Uh, most all, all the meetings were done on Zoom uh, or Teams. And so we were able to, um, you could do it from your cart, from your car. You could go back to the hotel um, if you wanted to. The break was pretty short, so we all just kind of hung around there. And then we went back out and got a position. And because of the, you know, the, the sunset was uh, usually about 525. Mm-hmm. So we were scheduled to be on from one to five, I think, uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And I think we went to conclusion of play uh, till, till the darkness on on thursday and, and friday certainly i can't remember on saturday yeah it was a it was a very full day but you know you're sitting there and you're like my friend a friend of mine i think it might have been steve milton who you know the, mm-hmm. the longtime director at cbs he has a phrase anytime i would complain about anything or other people in sort of privileged positions would would complain about any little little uh, irritation in their life his saying is there's no whining on the yacht and so <laughs> i reminded myself that even though I might have been a little tired, there's no whining on the yacht. Look what you're getting to do. Yeah. All right. We have another question from Steve Ross. And if uh, Steve, if you're the owner of the Miami Dolphins, we have lots to talk about because we're on a good run right now. Somehow I feel it's a different Steve. I thought the Masters looked great without fans, patrons. Uh, am I wrong for saying that? Got to see more of the course than I ever thought I would without going. What was your take on kind of how visually, uh, I got to give a, a special, as you mentioned, the, the drone, our, our buddy Louis Estes, amazing work. That, that he and his team did, showing us these angles we've never seen before. Um, but what was your take on how the course showed without patrons? I think people really got a sense of, of how beautiful it is. I mean, obviously, the patrons are a huge part of the, the whole Masters experience. But in this one year, and we, we, we hope it's just one year, to be able to see all of the lines of the golf course in a, in a very pure, pristine way, I thought was just off the charts. What I thought was interesting for the players is they ended up in places that they normally wouldn't be because yeah. the patron, somebody would, you know, would block it. It would roll and stop up against somebody's chair or something like that. And so they, they ended up having shots, which they may not have been prepared for. And the other interesting thing is, you know, as, as the players were, were getting done, most of them said, we really, we have to forget about this year's masters because we'll never play the golf course like this again. Fall conditions, very soft, really different than it would play uh, in April. Yeah, we did a podcast yesterday that we released this morning with uh, Henrik Stenson, almost an hour with Henrik Stenson um, that we do every other week. And Henrik made the comment that on 11, he hit a perfect second shot. It was drawing just at the front of the green. It was going to hit softly in the front of the green and then trundle onto that green and roll up and it would have a nice easy two putt for par, except for it plugged. So he ended up making bogey because he goes, but he said he couldn't get all the vast knowledge out of his head of like, well, no, you hit it short right on 11 and with a little draw and you run it up on that green, but you couldn't do that. So you're right. Xander Shoffley said the same thing uh, that some of the players who had experienced more of Augusta uh, and he said have been more scarred by Augusta in the past 
probably were a little more confused by what they saw. And we saw some shots on 15 in particular, um, Trevor Immelman was calling them, where guys were hitting some of these draws where if the grandstands would have been there, like, he wouldn't have been able to do it because it would have hit the hit the structure. I thought it was interesting to kind of get the announced team. Was it different? Did you guys discuss going into um, sort of, of kind of the artistry of the golf course and how we were going to see different views and stuff prior to, to getting into the towers? Yeah, I think everybody was was aware of that. And because of the the different technology, right, having the drone, um, there was a different camera at 16 that could go along the pond. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, I can't wait to see that with patrons. I mean, it's going to look phenomenal. It looked phenomenal anyway, but look even more so. <clears throat> but I but I think that um, I think you're right. It was uh, it was interesting you know, there's been this sort of constant dialogue about about uh, the, the game today overpowering, um, you know, golf courses. And uh, Augusta National would be in that conversation. I thought it was interesting that for all of his power um, at the third, um, uh, <laughs> Bryson took a triple bogey. And that Dustin laid up on both of the par fives on the second nine, you know, even with their length unchanged, 13 and 15. So, um Anyway, I, I just thought that that dynamic as, as a sort of uh, subtext was was very interesting to follow throughout the week. Well, that was one of the moments where the patrons not being there definitely affected because someone would have found Bryson's ball. Yes. I mean, it, it definitely embedded, uh, obviously, and uh, someone would have been able to find it. But people are saying that's kind of the, the golf gods and karma getting you, right? When you kind of rub of the game. Yeah, exactly. Game exactly. Yeah, all right, we're going to do a few more minutes here with Bill McAtee. If you have any more questions, please put them in on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and YouTube, and we'll get to them. What do you think next April is going to be like for you? Well, I hope to be – I work with uh, an investment firm in Chicago, so so I'm hoping to be there um, with some of our, our friends from, from that firm. And, and um, uh, so I, I will be there. It will be a different, whole different experience for me. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. I, I would go out every, every round and walk Amen Corner. You know, sometimes I had some friends with me. Sometimes I'd be alone, but I'd go out there. And again, just to remind myself of how lucky I was to be there and, and to be able to, you know, uh, broadcast the, the Masters. And, you know, I'm, I'm a marginal golfer. I, I love the game kind of oftentimes more than it loves me back, but that's okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good relationship. It works. And uh, but but just to remind myself, you know, of, of what I was getting to do. And and uh, it, it was always just so wonderful. It didn't matter whether sometimes it would be a little rainy or a little muddy. and None of that mattered. I just love being able to be out there. So next April, it will be odd not to be, you know, at a certain point heading to the 14th hour. But, you know, there's a there's a window for everything in our in our lives, in our careers. And 30 just felt like a really nice number. And, uh, and a good time to, to make a graceful dismount from what has been a wonderful career, and, and uh, especially in Augusta, and, uh, and to be able to kind of turn the page and, and look forward to the next chapter. And did you have any moments with some of the members of the CBS broadcast team? Because that's the thing to me about the team that's, that's so amazing is the longevity of that crew and the closeness of that crew that generally um, that crew hangs out together as much as is loud and as, as possible. Any kind words that people shared? Everybody was very, very nice. And everybody came over and said something. And it was really uh, definitely like family. And you know this, Jeff, you spent a lot of time together on the road and, um, yeah. 
you know, that you, you sort of replace your hometown family and friends and the things that you would do socially with them with this group of people that you travel with. And I was very lucky that, um, that I got to spend time with them because they're all, they're all terrific people. My only regret is I didn't get to spend more time with Jim Nance because, you know, Jim and I do the same thing. So the only time we'd be doing the same tournament, he does a lot better than I do, by the way, but the only time that, that, uh, we were at the same tournament was at the masters and then the PGA as well. So, um, uh, that's, that's my one regret, but, but, to be able to spend time with, you know, when I started, it was Pat and Kenny and, and then the litany of folks that have kind of gone through there. David Faraday had become a really good friend. And I worked with Vern in local news in Dallas. I've known him for years and will always consider him a mentor. And it, uh, it was a pretty, pretty, it is a pretty extraordinary crew that CBS sports has and the longevity really speaks to their dedication to the sport. It is. We have a question uh, from Nick from uh, right here in San Diego. Hi, Nick. Uh, greatest player in your eyes not to win a green jacket. Great question. Gosh, I'm so focused on on green jackets. Um, that, yeah, I think you, you stumped me. There, there's um, – I can't – I mean, I was standing by Ernie Els when Phil made his putt. Yep. And I was going to interview him. Um, prior to a playoff and his his shoulders slumped and he but the interesting thing is we're waiting for a camera and I said look if you have to go I understand and he said no I'll wait and he waited for 10 minutes and finally said you've got to go because I could tell his heart was broken so I think you know Ernie would have to be you know right up there you you think about those who came so close like Ernie um, some multiple times to be in the hunt. I mean, you know, in that role to be to, and sometimes you're standing there with them and you know, they're not going to get another chance that this was their moment in time and they're not going to, they're just not going to have another chance. And, yeah, and the, that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, spot to be in an interesting moment. Yeah. The two other ones that come to mind, obviously Greg Norman, um, right. who, who had so much heartbreak there, uh, along with many, every, it seems like every other major. And then Chris DeMarco, people don't get how, how close Chris DeMarco was multiple times there, uh, and just ran into, uh, into Tiger Woods, which is, uh, a lot of people end up uh, coming in second in that place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard because there's, there's a permanency to winning there. Cause you get the green jacket, you're the champions, like you come back every year. And if yeah. you only win one tournament, um, that which doesn't happen, but if you win that one, you come back. It doesn't matter, right? So that's it. That's really that, that. That that's and all of them are are important and 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 have significance in the game. But because of that sort of permanency that you get at Augusta National and the Masters, um, I think it feels just a little bit more special. And I also think there is that time where, you know, more often than not, the, the little kid is saying this putt to win the Masters. Because I've heard that repeatedly from from players throughout the years, you know, that this is the answer to, to what they did as a kid. And they finally they, they finally won the Masters. It's, yeah. it's always been ironic to me that, you know, you spend all that time as a kid practicing this putt to win the Masters. This, and then when you're actually doing it, in your head, you're probably saying, oh, this is no big deal. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you're going the other way. You're pretending it doesn't matter. Exactly. But that's that's the whole point of the place, right? They go back every year. We all know it. We 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 look forward to it. You know, Jim says it best, tradition unlike any other. That's right. 
That's right. like the other. Bill, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time. Um, next week on Tuesday, we have a special edition of the Cowboy Golf Podcast. We recorded it about a week ago with uh, Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry is going to be partnering with Peyton Manning against Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley uh, in the match three. That's uh, Friday after Thanksgiving. Any uh, any predictions for uh, Sir Charles on the golf course? Your buddy Gary McCord is going to be part of the broadcast. I, was say, as well. I think Gary will do something silly, but that's that's an easy bet. I don't think yes. he's you can't even find that one on the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, I just wanted to take a second and say thanks to you. Um, we've been friends for again. Don't want to date us for a while. The first uh, event I ever produced was a uh, women's uh, open tennis uh, doubles, women's doubles tennis finals at the U.S. Open. You were in the booth oh, yeah. and. Uh, wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have gotten through that day without your guidance and many others like that. So, uh, congratulations on 30 years of Masters on an amazing, amazing broadcast career. Thanks for spending some time with us here on the podcast. Thank you, and always proud to be with Callaway, and, and you guys do a great job, uh, not only for the company but also for the game. So, so thank you for including. All right, well, we're going to include Bill in some more things. That's a teaser of things to come. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week with Stephen Curry on the Callaway Golf Podcast.